listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit www.jointheventure.com. This morning, I want to start out by doing a magic trick. Can I do a magic trick? I've been working on it. Yeah, I got one woo over there. One person cares. Awesome. Sweet. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I've been practicing this all week, and it should work. It actually hasn't worked yet, um, but maybe, maybe it'll work this time. Okay, so uh, this, you recognize this? What is it? It's orange juice. It's actually uh, Tropicana. No, simply orange juice. So I'm going to just dump this right here in this pitcher. It's going to be awesome what happens here. You guys recognize this stuff? Yeah, somebody might have beat you up for your money for this when you are a kid. This is your milk money right here, milk, all right? I don't endorse bullying. I think it's terrible, but I do like milk. It's good for your bones. All right, this right here recently is my choice of beverage, Dr. Pepper. I'm going to dump this in here. Hopefully you don't have a mess. There we go. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. In each of these pictures, I want you guys to help me out. Remind me what's in these pictures. In the per- first picture I have, yep, second picture I have, sec- third picture I have, Dr. Pepper. All right, so here's what's going to happen. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to do magic. I'm going to do magic. Every great magic trick has a magic word, right? So our magic word today is going to be Alakazam. Can we do that together? Okay, I want you to do it with me. Ready, set, go. Alakazam. But you have to kind of like a little punch into it. So here we go. Ready? Alakazam. It won't work if you don't participate, okay? So let's do this. Ready, set, go. Alakazam. All right, so it might work because some of you care. All right, so here we go. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take this picture of Simply Orange, orange juice, and I'm going to pour it into this glass, and it's going to change forms. You ready? Here it goes. Ready? Magic word. One, two, three. Yeah, here we go. Uh, wait, it's not, it's not what's supposed to happen. Okay, so that's just orange juice. So um, maybe somebody didn't. What's not? Alakazam? Okay, we'll try that again. All right, so here we go. Is this, is this what? Milk, okay. Same thing. Important here. It's going to change forms. Ready? Give them the magic word. One, two, three. Alakazam. All right, got some more punches that time. So here we go. Let's see what happens. Um, nothing. Okay, cool. Sweet. Aren't you glad you came? This is cool. All right, so we got milk as milk. Surely this will work. Okay, here we go. Last time, maybe it's just, uh, let me see if I can have a word here. What kind of work is embarrassing me? Okay. All right, here we go. Magic word. One, two, three. Alakazam! Here we go. Once what was Dr. Pepper is now, maybe it's, it's Pepsi, maybe. Let's see. No, it's Dr. Pepper. It didn't work. You know why this didn't work? Because there's no such thing as magic. That's why it didn't work. There's no such thing as magic. When you see magic tricks, it's, it's an illusion, right? You know that. You're smart people. Some of you are like, oh, man. But seriously, there is no such thing as magic. But here's, here's the thing. Sometimes we live like we believe that there is. But the reality is there's a principle at play here in these three glasses that I think we can apply to our lives. This is the principle. That what you pour in is what will pour out every time. There's no such thing as magic. Yet sometimes we live like we believe that there is. We see this principle in play all the time. And the thing is, we look at other people's lives and sometimes we get confused. Like, 
This thing is pr- true. The principle that whatever you pour in is what we pour out is true like in school. A lot of you guys are, are here as UNCW freshmen or you're just coming back from summer vacation. You see it true in school because there's that person that's in your class with you. and man, they make the best grades and the teachers love them and they got the most awesome projects when they finish and you're like, oh, that's not fair. How come they get all the breaks? But that, there's no such thing as magic. The reality is that they go to class and they study and they do their work and they kiss up to the teacher, very important, and they get the stuff done because what they pour in is what pours out and that's why they're a good student. You see this happening in your relationships, in your marriage, in your dating relationships. And you see other people and they're, why do they have it all together? Why do they just seem to have such a good relationship? Why do they communicate so well? Ah, makes me sick. Do they have something that I don't? Do they have something special? There's no such thing as magic. What's probably happening is that someone is pouring an immense amount of love and patience and respect and integrity and quality time and a good solid argument every now and then. And it's what's getting poured in is what is getting poured out. There's no such thing as magic. We just see this with our kids. I'm a parent. I've got two kids. My daughter just turned five years old. And, you know, sometimes as parents, we look at other kids uh, from from other families, and we're just like, "Ah, they're so good. (laughs) Hey, why are they behaving themselves so well? It's driving me bonkers to see how good they are. What may just be happening is that someone is pouring into them limits and boundaries and love and respect and and, and guidelines and, and all of these things. There's no such thing as magic. Now, here's the truth about kids. I want to say this, kind of a disclaimer. The truth is kids also pour into themselves, don't they? And their friends and the neighbors pour into them, and what they see on TV pours into them. All this stuff is getting poured into them, but what gets poured in is what will pour out. There's no such thing as magic. The principle still works. And so today we're starting this series called Renegade. I talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, Renegade is, 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 is typically this idea that says, I'm going to stand up against something. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be a little bit belligerent and, and, and go against the flow. And, and it can have a negative connotation to it. But for the course of about the next month or so, I want to take the word renegade, and I want to make it a bit of a battle cry for us as a church family. To say, what if we stood up against the flow of of what culture says and what the world says we should do? And what if we stood up and what if we did the right things? And what if we poured into ourselves what needs to be poured into ourselves and all the other principles we're going to talk about over the next month or so? What would it look like to live like a renegade? And over the course of this series, we're going to be looking at people all throughout history who have done amazing things. Sometimes we look at the Bible, and, and I'll be honest, this thing happens to me also. Like, you look at the Bible and the Bible stories, and you're like, yeah, but that was like thousands of years ago. Like, I really have a hard time connecting with David and Goliath. It's really cool, but I just have a hard time connecting with that story. Because So our goal is to, we're going to look at some Bible stuff too, always. We always want to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. I say that all the time. But there are people who have lived and lived out the principles of God's word in their life. And they've lived as renegades and they've made this place, this world, different because of God's love. I, I want to just talk to you real quick. If you came this morning and like church isn't your thing, uh, you don't do church or maybe you haven't been to church in a while or maybe you're just kind of questioning the whole God thing. And I just want to ask you this simple question. Do you want to make a difference in the world? Do you want to make a difference in the world? Do you want to make the world a better place because you're here? I think... As a general rule, most people do. And so maybe you're still on the fence about God and church and all of that. What I want to do is invite you to come back and see if these principles will also be true in your life. 
and let you know that every one of them is coming from the Bible and God's story and what he says to us. And so um, the thing is, there's these people throughout history who have made a huge difference in the world. And we see the things that they do, especially the people who stand up for God in impossible situations. And we say, how do they do that? I just, I just couldn't see myself doing that. But what? There's no such thing as magic. There's a reason they can do it, and there's a reason that they follow through with what they're convicted by. Because what you pour in is what will pour out. Today, I want to tell you a story about our first renegade. Her name is Esther Ann Kim. We got a picture of a biography about her. This is a book um, called If I Perish. And I, I haven't been able to find a picture of Esther. I don't know if one doesn't exist or if, if it's just not easy to find on Google. But um, this is a book that I totally recommend that you check out. It's her story and, and kind of, I'm telling some pieces of it that came from this biography, but uh, it is just amazing to see a life of a person like this. Uh, let me tell you her story. Uh, this is Esther Ann Kim, and she lived in Korea. Um, from 1937 to 1945, Japan occupied Korea. And there was this whole process going on called the Japanization of Korea. Basically, they made it illegal to speak Korean, and the only legal language was Japanese. And they made them do all the Japanese customs and do everything the way that Japan would have them do it. And Esther Ann um, was a teacher at a Christian school. She was a music teacher. And, uh, you know, she was like, well, you know, when in Rome, right? And this is how it is. And so she was just kind of following the rules. And she, she even was really trying to comply with the rules. Uh, she was learning Japanese because she felt like, okay, well, if we're going to be Japanese, then fine, we'll learn Japanese. I just want to take care of my students. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to honor God. I can learn Japanese and do that, right? The Japanese did something, though, that shifted the tides for Esther Ann. See, they made this law where they had gone all around the place in Korea and they had set up these shrines, like places of worship, these idols, and they, they put on the shrines the image of the Japanese sun goddess and a picture of the emperor of Japan, and they commanded everybody in the nation of Korea to come out and worship these things. Now, they were making Christian leaders in their churches go through their congregations and say, listen, the Japanese government demands this we got to do it under penalty of death or punishment. Let's go. So Christian leaders, pastors and preachers and teachers and elders were going out and they were bowing down before these shrines. Esther Ann said, no. Because, see, she knew that God said, don't worship any other gods. God said, I am the only God. And don't bow down to any other image besides who I am. So she refused. Well, she walked away from the first uh, encounter she had, they called her out, they made her go worship, and, and she didn't bow down. Everybody else bowed down, and she didn't bow down. And she walked away in her biography. She said, I knew I was dead. I knew that they were not going to stand for that type of behavior, but I, what do you do? I'm just not going to bow down. And so she walked away. She returned to her classroom where there were four armed policemen waiting for her. They escorted her off to the police station. And the craziest thing happened, God works in, uh, in crazy ways. We get to the police station, and she's there in the station, and she's getting checked in. And then this, like, ruckus happens somewhere else in the station. And all the police officers are like, oh, we got to go deal with this. And so they run off, and they go deal with the thing. And there's Esther sitting by herself, unaccompanied, in the police station. And she goes, well, I'm not staying here. <laughs> she walked out. She just walks out of the police station. She has to go into hiding. She becomes one of, uh, one of uh, on the Japanese government's most wanted list. 
and she has to lead, live in secret. But as she continued to kind of pray and, and be like, God, deliver our, our country, deliver our people from this oppression. Like, can you help this? Can you help this? And she's praying, she's praying. And then she realizes something. She says, you know what? I can't just lay down and let this happen. <sighs> They're making Christian people bow down and worship false gods. They're putting guns in their head. It's doing crazy stuff like that. Like, I can't just do this. And so she, she makes a plan. And she plays it out. And she sneaks out of Korea and over to Japan. And she goes with a friend of hers. And she makes her way into the Japanese legislator. And she goes into that house of government. And she has posters. And then at a given moment, she and her friend stand up. And they hold the posters up. Peaceful protest. But everybody can see them. And on the poster, there were these three demands. These are three demands. One, that the Japanese government repent and withdraw from Korea. That's bold. Number two, that they, uh, 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 let me back up. Yep, that they examine whether Shintoism or Christianity is the true religion. And then number three, that they burn a stack of wood with a Shinto believer and Esther Ann on top. And the person that's not burned to death would prove that their religion was true. Whoa. Like this went from crazy to out of this world. Because she's saying, listen, I'm just not going to do this. Well, she's arrested, and she's thrown in jail. And she's put in this prison where they're just tortured, man. They're, they're, like, they, they get whipped, and, and commonly in her account, she said people were whipped to where there was no skin left on them, and then the only thing being whipped is, like, their, their raw nerves. And I don't want to be too graphic, but just to let you know, like, this is what people were going through and, and have gone through through history. And, man, they said that the only reprise from it was if you were lucky enough to pass out. She, she undergoes the beatings and she undergoes the tortures and time after time she's given the opportunity to renounce her faith in God and go be a free woman. She says, I won't do it. But she didn't just sit there and take it. She also was bold while she was in prison. Like she finally gets her day in court, right? And she goes to the judge and the judge wants to, her to give her testimony. And this is what she says to the judge. Listen to this bold woman. Mr. Judge, what would you do if you saw someone drinking sewage water without knowing how filthy it was, and if he was telling others to drink it as well? Whatever danger and disgrace might be upon me, I must tell him not to drink the water. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in whom I have faith with all my might, died for such a purpose and has told me to live accordingly. Therefore, I must testify of the truth and save the person who is drinking the sewage water. Japan is obviously rebelling against the true God, and God has called me, a Korean, to warn the Japanese government. Um, calling Japan and their religion sewage water was probably not the easiest way to get out of prison. And what do they do? Throw her back in. There's another time when uh, there was this especially wicked guard, and uh, he, he would call um, beating prisoners until they were unconscious he would call that his workout for the day, right? And so he starts to whip this elderly uh, imprisoned pastor. Well, Esther sees this, and she throws herself between them. And this is what she says to the, to the prison guard. She says, beat me as much as you want to. Believe him alone. How would you like to be beaten so ruthlessly when you get older? Go home and beat your own father. He didn't like that. She also did a lot of ministry in prison. She was uh, viewed... She viewed her time in prison as a time to minister to the people who were in there. And there was this one time uh, when, as she was thinking 
as she was talking about God's love, she was ministering to one of the guards that was standing there by the, 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 the gate. And he heard, and he heard, and he heard, and he heard about the love of God and the way that Esther thought. And this Jesus guy, and she, he heard it, and he heard it, and he heard it. And then this is what he said. He said, a change has come into my heart. I want to live for a rewarding and true hope as you were doing. And he quit his job. One less prison guard to abuse somebody. There's another point, and in, in this, this prisoner shows up, and she's crazy. Like, she is mentally insane. She has, again, somewhat graphic, I'll be discreet, but he, she had killed her husband and chopped him into bits. And she was put in jail. And she was raving mad, and she was screaming and yelling and wiggling all over the place, and so they had to put her in her own cell. And Esther Ann, every day, would listen to this woman moaning and screaming, and she would call to the guard, and she would say, please, let me go to her. Well, bring, bring her to my cell. And they said, no, she's crazy. She's crazy. Well, Esther Ann, as you can imagine, was relentless. And eventually they say, fine, she'll put her in there. She'll, she'll kill the rest of you. Put the crazy lady in jail with Esther Ann. And, and all the other prisoners in that cell were like, whoa, whoa. And they got back in the corner. And Esther walks over and she puts her arms around her. And she sits down and she starts to rub her head. And she says, I like you. I like you. I like you. For days, she does this. The lady finally starts to come to her senses. And she changes so much that the guards didn't even recognize the lady anymore. And like, hey, what, what happened to that crazy lady we put in jail with you? Where is she? Did she escape? And once again, Esther proved that the love of God can overcome some of the craziest obstacles in our life. Later on, Esther became so sick, she was almost dead. Uh, she, she, her feet had become totally frostbitten. Uh, she had almost gone completely blind. She was starving to the point of exhaustion. Uh, she was in the freezing nights in jail, and she could hardly make it. And they finally actually decide, just let, just let her go. Let Esther Ann go. She's, we don't want to have to take care of her if she dies in jail. So they just let her go. So they arrange with her mother to come pick her up, and she stumbles out into outside the jail to meet her mom. And it says that she, she talked to her for a while. She hugged her mom. They cried together. Check this out. Esther turned around, and she walks back into the prison and says, put me back in my cell. Because she said, there are people here who are suffering unjustly, and I can't just get out. I got to stay here and love them and tell them about God's love. What? When you hear that story of a young lady with that kind of strength, this, this thought comes into your mind, and I know it does, and it did mine. You're like, wow, how do you become that person? How did, there is no way I could have done that. There's no way I would have been able to stand up time and time again in the face of so much adversity and just be so bold. You know she was hurting. You know she was cold. You know when she saw her mom, she was just like, Mom, I just want to go home. But you know what? There's no such thing as magic. What was poured in was pouring out. And, and, and I told you a long story, right? But I need to tell you a part that I just skipped. You remember she got arrested, and she wouldn't bow down to the shrine, and she goes to the police station, and then she escapes. Remember that part? Well, while she's gone, she's like, okay, I'm going to get arrested. I'm probably going to spend the rest of my life in jail. I should probably begin to prepare myself. So she does. She begins to prepare herself. Check out some things that she did. She memorized 100 chapters of the Bible. She's like, I'm probably going to need the Bible in jail, but they're probably not going to let me keep mine. A little, my little personal testament that I keep in my pocketbook. She memorizes 100 chapters 
of the Bible. She memorizes tons of songs and hymns that she could use to sing uh, and, and lift her spirits while she's in prison and lift the spirits of the other people. She began to fast for long periods of time, you know, going without food. She begins to fast for long periods of time because she knows she's going to face starvation. And she's like, I want to be used to that. Not only that, when she did eat, she would eat rotten produce, knowing that it would probably be better than what she would be given in jail. But she said, you know what, I want to be used to this. And when she slept, she slept without a blanket and without socks on a cold ground every night because she said, I want to be ready for this. What is she doing? She's pouring in. She's pouring in. She's pouring in. Listen, what she did in prison, how she acted, the impact she had on other people, it wasn't magic. It wasn't because she was special. It was because of what she poured into herself. And you can do the same thing. Like, I'm not here to be a motivational speaker and talk about my van by the river. Like, that's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about is changing the world. Changing the world by what we pour into ourselves and living as renegades in our city. This is a principle that you can apply to your life. Esther Ann's story is very similar to one that we see in the Bible. So, um, you know, Adventure Church, we love to look at the Bible to see uh, what, what it has to say about life's most important uh, questions. And so if you've got a Bible, if you would just grab it and turn uh, to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, it's in like the first two-thirds of the Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or own one, we give them away for free. And so there might be one under your chair. You can have it. Make sure it doesn't belong to your neighbor, actually. And uh, we also have them there in the back that you could grab, or the, the verses will be right up on the screen behind me here. But... It reminds me very much of the story of this guy named Daniel, and we're going to kind of quickly just kind of go through what happened with him. So when we get to the story of Daniel, what we find, there there are two major nations. There's uh, the Jewish nation that had their capital there in Jerusalem, and the people there believed in and worshiped God, and they lived for him. But there was this other nation called Babylon. Babylon comes in, they've got this king named Nebuchadnezzar, okay? That's all you got to remember, king named Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, and Jerusalem. And he comes in, takes over the Jews, they end up in exile as kind of slaves and captives of the Babylonians. And there's this day when King Nebuchadnezzar decides that he is going to make a shrine, a 90-foot tall, 9-foot wide, golden shrine that people would have to come out and bow down to worship to show their allegiance to him. Like, you thought, like, uh, you didn't like Obamacare? <laughs> Imagine, like, they drag you out and, and, and make you bow down to shrines all the time, or else, yeah, we're just going to take your family, right? That's, that's the thing that these people were facing with their government. Well, a lot of people did it, because under the penalty of death or punishment, they had to. But there were these three guys. If you grew up in church or you know this story, you, you might remember they have funny names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's three guys. They refused to bow down. They won't do it. They decide, I would rather live with the consequences. They say, everyone else is going this way, but no. I'm going to go this way. Let's check out this, uh, Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 13. We're just going to read about 10 verses to, to sum up the story. This is what happens after he finds out, the king finds out. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my God to worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the hort and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipe and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image of gold that I've made, 
Very good. Like, I'll let it slide. I'll, maybe you made a mistake, a lapse in judgment, but I'll let it slide. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace, giant fireplace, okay? Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from it, from your majesty's hand. But this is something we don't often get. Listen to this. But even if he does not, because that might not be what God wants for you right now. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods, or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Bam! We're not going to do it. Sorry. We're not going to do it. We understand the consequences, and we will not do it. So then verse 19 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, their trousers, their turbans, I'm glad they had on their trousers and their turbans, their robes, their trousers and their turbans and their other clothes, they were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's hot. Like you ever been at a campfire and, and you're like sitting on that row in your, in your soccer mom chair and you're like, oh, my knees are hot. Like this thing is so hot that the people that got close to it actually died because of the heat. And these men are thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, I could read you the rest of the story. Many of you may have heard it, probably have. But let me tell you what happened. They get in there, and they don't die. And the guards are standing outside going, I'm puzzled <laughs> by this. How are you not dying? In fact, it also says that like an angel came to walk around with them and was protecting them. And he called them out. He said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of the furnace. And he does. They do. And it says they didn't even smell like smoke. Wow. That's a pretty awesome story. I recommend that you read the rest of it. Now, when you hear that story and, and you think of these three guys with that kind of strength and that kind of resolve and that kind of willingness to stand up before the most powerful man in the world and say, uh, no, we're tempted to say, how did they do it? Like, I could never do that. I could never have the guts to stand up before somebody and do that. But you know what? You know by now, right? There's no such thing as magic. There's a part of the story I didn't tell you. See, at the beginning of their story, what happened when we first find them in the first two chapters of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar comes into power, and, and he puts away all of God's people, and, but what he does is he pulls out a couple of strong young men, and he says, listen, I want you to do these things. I want you to subscribe to this diet and live by this lifestyle, and if you do that, you'll be honored in my kingdom, and I want to look to you. And some of the things that they were doing were actually against some of the rules that God had given them. And so what do they say to the king? They say, no, actually, we're going to eat our people's diet. We're going to worship the way that we want to worship, that we need to worship, and we're going to do that. You know what? They were pouring God in from the very beginning so that when they faced the most terrifying time of their life, they were able to go, whew, that's going to be bad. But guys, what have we been pouring in? It's what's going to come out. 
It happens time and time again in the Bible. It happens time and time again throughout history. People saying, I'm going to pour in God's love. I'm going to pour in God's kindness. I'm going to pour in God's grace, and I'm going to live out God in my life. Does that mean I'm going to be perfect? No. But it means I know what I'm fueled with. And what I pour in is what will pour out. I think about Paul, who's a guy we see in the New Testament. And I won't tell his whole story, but there's this time where he's in jail. He is locked away in jail. And uh, actually, if we want to go to the second slide there, it's going to be Philippians 1, 12 through 14. He's locked in jail because of his faith. And this is what he writes. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, while he's in jail, he's writing this, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Because as a result, it's become clear throughout the entire palace guard that, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of these brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see this guy, Paul, and in the book of Philippians where he wrote this, the, the theme of the entire book is, oh man, I'm in jail. I'm so sad. No, read the book of Philippians. Over 14 times the word joy is used. The theme of the book of Philippians, this book that this guy wrote in jail while he's literally chained because of his faith and he's facing possible execution, which does eventually happen. What is the theme of the book that he writes from there? Joy? That guy. He, he must have something special. He's got something that I have. No, there's no such thing as magic. If you don't know who Paul is, man, he was one of the first Christian missionaries to begin traveling around all of the world. And he is pouring in, pouring in, pouring in, pouring in the love of God. And what happens? He pours out confidence and trust and faith from God. He knows that this might not be the best situation, but I can find joy because, hey, I'm in prison. But guess what? These prison guards know about Jesus now. Like, they didn't know about Jesus before, but now they do. That's pretty cool. Hey, thanks, God, for putting me in prison. What? Renegade. By the way, this is the principle that Jesus talks about. Jesus in John chapter 15, starting at verse 4, he says this. Remain in me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Because I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, if you'll stick with me, if you will pour me in, if you will stay with me, then I will stay with you. He talks about fruit. He says the fruit of our life. He says that like he's the vine and we're the branches and we got to produce fruit. And what kind of fruit is he talking about? He's talking about fruit roll-ups, like fruit of the loom. Like he's talking about, remember that fruit stripes gum, the, uh, the, the zebra? That was terrible gum. Like, the flavor lasted like three seconds, but I always wanted my mom to buy it for me. What kind of fruit is he talking about? Well, the Bible talks about two different types of fruit. Uh, the first fruit is, is uh, basically godly character traits that, that we really want. And so, like in Galatians, there's a passage that talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience. You listening to the words I'm saying? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's nine character traits that, that uh, actually Paul writes about in Galatians. So that's a fruit. Like those are the character traits that come out of our life if we have godly fruit. The other kind of fruit that we talk about is uh, the positive impact that we have on the people around us in the world. It's fruit. Like we do well in our life, and so there, there's fruit, and people see it. And Jesus is saying, you can have this kind of fruit. You, you can have this 
What you pour out are the things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you pour me in. This is an apple. I love apples. And um, most of us have seen a fruit tree. Like, you ever seen an apple tree? Maybe some more exotic tree, mango tree, something like that. Have you ever, like, seen a fruit tree that was trying to produce fruit? Like, you walk up on it, and it's just like, oh, hold on. Hold on, just a minute. I can do this. Like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm an apple tree trying to produce fruit. I was like, don't hurt yourself, man. Like, no, apple trees don't do that. What do they do? They just, they just produce fruit. That's Because that's what they do. What's inside an apple tree? Apples. That's what's in there. Apparently, they pop out all over the place. Like, that's what's in apple trees. They don't have to try because it's what's inside of them. What you pour in will pour out naturally. It just happens. And quite tasty. God wants us to have his fruit pouring out of our lives. And you don't have to try. You just have to pour in. And it will change you and it will change those around you. If like Esther and Kim and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Paul, if you pour in God, if you stay focused on him, if you read your Bible every day or as often as you can and you memorize verses from the Bible and you pray a lot, you show up to church, you get involved in small group, you get yourself plugged into community, Jesus says, remain in me, stay connected to the vine, you won't have to try. It'll just happen. And your life will change and it'll be because of what you poured into yourself that you'll be able to pour it out. You'll be the one who has the godly character traits and, and make a positive impact on other people in the world. And you, guys, you will be a renegade. And some of you already are, and you inspire me every day. Guys, this was just an opening to a several week series that we're going to go through this, this idea of looking at different Renegades, And what I want to encourage you to do this week is ask yourself this simple question. What am I pouring in? Simple question. What goes into your eyes? What comes into your ears? What do you do with the actions in your life? What are you pouring in? Because I'm going to promise you that's what will pour out. Why? Because there's no such thing as magic. Can I pray for you? God, we love you so much. And we thank you for showing us the stories of Esther Ann Kim and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and Paul, and, and all the other people who've gone before us and just made a difference because they were willing to stand up and go against the flow and, and be different. Lord, I pray this morning for this, this family of mine here in this room that we can all be that type of people. Lord, though we make mistakes and we, we probably ruin some of the stuff that you give us, I know we do. Oh, God, I just pray that you can help us move beyond our failures and step forward into your, your grace and your forgiveness and your love and say, it doesn't matter where I've been, it only matters where I'm going with you. Lord. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone who came here today for the first time uh, who might be looking for church community or just a place where they can grow in general, that, uh, that maybe they found something here today and that we can connect uh, with one another. We love you so much. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.